This episode of Nordic Nation is brought to you by the Masters World Cup 2018 to be held in Worth Park in downtown Minneapolis. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. Up in this episode is North America's answer to the dynamic duo. Team Greg. We spoke to Caitlin and Brian Greg from their home in Minneapolis and learn exactly what it takes to run a two-person, fully bona fide professional ski team. And along the way, we'll learn some cool things about financing a home purchase as the two rev up to make the 2018 U.S. Winter Olympic team. All right. So first off, let me just get you guys to uh, introduce yourselves and how old are you? Hi, I'm Caitlin Gregg, and I am 36 years old. And I'm Brian Gregg, and I'm 33. You've been in New Zealand, so how long have you guys been back in the States, and how have uh, you adjusted to the time change? Uh, We've been back uh, for, I guess it's been, what would you say, 36 hours now? Yeah. I was pretty surprised, actually, how easy the travel down and back was. uh, I think because you're on the flight for so long like what was 14 hours from houston on the way down and 13 on the way back is you basically have 14 hours to get nine hours of sleep so you just sort of stretch the day a little bit you know i think it's 17 hours difference but it's almost like the opposite way you know that ends up only being what seven hours true difference really uh so it actually i think with crossing the date line i'm surprised we both uh the last two nights, we've gone to bed at nine and woken up at seven, and everything's business as normal. When you guys flew down there, how long was it before you had you had to jump into a race? Oh, we had a good solid. I guess it was almost two weeks before the first. Yeah, event. The, fir- the first event we did was the World Lopet, the Merino Muster down there, which has been on on our list for a long time. So that was pretty cool to get the opportunity to do that. We've uh, we had the chance to go over and do the Fostaven or Lopet race this last spring. And in those races, we find to be a lot of fun. It's fun to connect with the different world masters and uh, and groups that are pursuing their world masters passport. When you guys fly to Europe to race, how do you guys deal with that and any strategies that you implement? And Caitlin, why don't you go first? So I will say that the more more you do it, the the easier it gets. I mean... um, you know, certainly for me, the first couple times flying over to Europe and internationally, it was totally new and it was, you know, something that I, it was in a new place. There was lots of different languages, everything was different. And so you kind of are taking in all of this new, um, new kind of scene and it can be a little bit overwhelming. And then the time change and, um, for sure, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, the more comfortable you feel. And I think that we've really, kind of tried to focus on um, making sure that we we prepare ourselves before we travel so that we are, you know, feeling good, we're rested, we're healthy. And then I think the biggest thing that Brian's been able to do, especially in the last five or six years, has been to uh, really pick solid flights over there. So we really spend a lot of time kind of doing our research and looking for not only um, reasonably priced flights, but also flights that leave at good times of the day and also get in at you know good times of the day so that um everything around the travel is pretty well managed we don't have any super early mornings or super late nights and that seems to really help us and uh having a little bit of planning ahead or really taking the time to research those flights and and that information you know whether it's which airports we're transferring like through or you know how we're going to get from the hotel to our or the yeah hotel to the airport or airport to the hotel kind of ends up making a big, big difference in the long run. Brian, anything to add on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's huge. To be honest, we had a flight from, uh, from Reno to Minneapolis and I thought the travel there was harder than from New Zealand to Minneapolis. That was like a 5:45 AM flight. And so it was just one of those tricky things where, you know, it's hard to get a full eight or nine hours of sleep in order to do that. And then you come in, you're kind of tired. So it sort of, it just sort of throws you off. Um, we were able to do the, this travel at times where we were planning, planning on, uh, you know, we took, we didn't train on Monday, the day that we left, I guess we arrived here on Monday, but that was after 22 hours of travel. And then yesterday was a pretty relaxed day for us. We, Caitlin did a strength session around noon and we did a little recovery run. So that was, that, that's pretty easy to plan that, that out. 
So why was New Zealand on your radar this year? And if you guys can discuss, you know, what were the goals were expectations and, and how it played out. Yeah. You know, the, uh, as, as crazy as it is, we haven't had a lot of opportunity to ski on hard wax recently. And we both recently felt that our strength in classic skiing used to be on hard wax. And now we've become better at skiing on clister. And so we're looking for an opportunity to get some more time skiing, uh, in hard wax conditions. And so that was a, a big idea, uh, was to come down and get it to New Zealand. And we wanted a chunk of time on snow. Uh, we've done different camps up to the Eagle Glacier and the Hague Glacier in the past. And our thought was, well, we can try to get uh, three weeks. Three weeks on snow would be really, really good. And then the opportunity for for different training partners at the at the World Cup level and knowing that the national team guys were all going to be down there. Well, you know, what a huge opportunity to ski behind uh, Simi and Sophie and Jesse and Ida and the crew. And so that was a big focus was try to connect on snow. And then we knew we'd overlap a little bit with, uh, with the ski team. Originally our goal was to go down for four weeks, but, uh, we didn't quite work out to get into the lodging up at the snow farm for four weeks, but we ended up getting, uh, three weeks there and that worked out really well. And we've been working on accumulating the credit card points to be able to get down there for a while. And, this time of year, every year, we always have a, a lot of fun looking at the different uh, social media and blog posts from the U.S. teammates that are down there. And I tell you, I think it's I think it's actually even better than it shows up in the pictures. It was it was really really good training, and it was was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, I, I I would I would finish by saying it was it was definitely one of the best training camps that I've ever I've ever uh, done and ever been to. And um, I mean, the conditions are phenomenal. The accommodations are phenomenal. The food is phenomenal. Food. Everything was everything was really great. And um, I think the food was the best of anywhere that I've ever traveled. Yeah. You know, with your your options for fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, it was really good. Yeah, they do a really nice job there, and the skiing is right out the door. And then it's just a short drive to Wanaka for some great running, and I mean the scenery is, yeah, it's 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 pretty unbelievable. So um, you know, all of that. Uh, combines to make just just an awesome camp and i think it it was a lot of fun to kind of connect with that snow feel kind of midwinter feeling too you know kind of the the midpoint of what i would consider to be the prep phase of uh, the season you know the training season and um yeah man coming back you know it was it was like a solid 20 degrees when we were there and gosh it's like almost 90 degrees here in minneapolis and our bodies are we can tell the difference man i i miss winter winter's awesome <laughs> You guys did quite well in the races down there, and maybe you got you can speak to that. But I'm also curious when you when you do reference, you know, how the races went for you. How fit do you want to be in you know late August in September, and how much do you think you need to notch it up by senior nationals? Yeah, you know, we've we've gone in a lot in the past of of where that fitness should be. You know, sometimes you, you look at these middle of the training season races as, you know, maybe this is one of my only opportunities to race against the World Cup athletes and prove where we, we are at. Um, and sometimes in the past, we've taken those races very, very seriously. And Caitlin's won a number of time trials and done well in the past. And and uh, this year, actually, we sort of took it more as a little bit more of just we need to train and our 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 focus right now, at least for myself, is is pretty much solely on, you know, the early season, the two early season super tours and U.S. nationals towards making the Olympics. Yeah, you know, it's something that um, we spend uh, we spend the last couple of years kind of really focusing kind of on this idea of, um, you know, how long can you maintain peak fitness and how do you want to come into that fitness and, and where are our priorities? And for sure, like Brian mentioned before, you know, big thing for us, the priorities were to get in some solid training with world-class athletes. And so, you know, looking at the calendar and looking at, you know, where the races fell and what we were looking at for a training load down there, you know, we, we kind of knew that going in the races were going to be, um, they were going to be tough. They weren't, um, they were, you know, a good variety of distances from, you know, a marathon for Brian. I did the 21 K to, um, you know, shorter skate races, longer classic, 
mass start races and then a sprint race. And so we knew it was a good variety and a good mix. But yeah, you know, it's something that we've talked about where I think we've both kind of felt like our summer training has gone super well. We come into the fall and I would, I would use the word pretty hot, feeling pretty good. And, um, you know, and, and found that we really couldn't build much from that be, or beyond that to get to the next level. And so it's something that we've been sort of focusing on this year where, um, yeah, we're trying to kind of build a, a more consistent fitness throughout the season and um, and hopefully be able to maintain that top form throughout the winter time when it's actually the, the most important. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have looked at the selection criteria, you know, and I think I'm pretty accurate in saying this. It's pretty heavily weighted towards results at senior nationals up in Alaska. Yes. I mean, that's the, that's the big thing. I think that, you know, is a is a really good option, particularly on the men's side. You know, there'll definitely be some men who make the the Olympics because of their results at U.S. Nationals. The uh, we're in a little bit of a of an odd position. You know, we've talked with the national team about what does you know what what can Caitlin do to prove that that she should be in, particularly the the ten kilometer skate race at the Olympics, which you know she holds a medal at the last uh, championship event to, with the ten k from Falun. And what what she can do, and you know, it's usually that that classic response of like, well, just prove that you're skiing above and beyond everyone else domestically, uh, and that that's that's all you really need to do. And you know, obviously, we had a really hard time when when Caitlin was not selected for the team in 2014. And one of those things, kind of going into this year, is you know, is being dominant on the domestic scene good enough or do you need to have the opportunity to be able to show that on the, on the world cup? And it's certainly not a, not an easy position that it puts the national team in because we have such a strong world cup crew, but uh, it's definitely challenging if you don't necessarily have those world cup starts on the women's side. You know, what sort of advice would you give emerging athletes, athletes that might be graduating from a four year ski program like you both did and wanting to then jump in super tours and possibly get, you know, starts in the World Cup or get a nomination to the U.S. ski team. What sort of wisdom would you give those athletes? Uh, I think, you know, one thing that Brian and I, um, you know, we hold as kind of one of the greatest achievements that we've been able to do is, you know, we we've been able to do, um, you know, to have all of our success and, and, and reach so many of our goals, um, you know, kind of working, uh, working, I guess, together and, and, and being really committed to, to what we believe in the most. And so, you know, sometimes that aligns with one of the more traditional approaches, whether it's a Stratton or an APU program, but sometimes, you know, like for us, that means staying here in the Midwest and really committing to our, our local club, Lapit Nordic Racing. And, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, we find that we might not have, you know, a number of other World Cup athletes around us to train with, but that doesn't mean that we don't have fantastic training partners in the juniors or the masters or even some of our friends who have, you know, been racing on the super tours or been, you know, competing at the World Cup level who now might have full-time jobs and families and just ski because I love skiing. And so the one thing I would encourage is for sure to find what works best for you. Um, not to be discouraged if like, you know, you don't want to move to, to Vermont or you don't want to move to Alaska. If you want to stay and be somewhere that you, you feel like you're happy and, and you can make the most of, uh, yeah, of your environment. And, um, I would, do you have anything to add, Brian? Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice for young skiers is the to set big goals and to really believe in yourself and that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do different things and a lot of different ways to have success. And I think you, you need to believe in yourself and you need to invest in yourself. There's different things that maybe seem a little bit outside the box of, you know, different training equipment that you may need to, to purchase. And I think the the self-investment of investing in your training and, and what you feel like you need to do to become the best athlete possible is, is extremely important. And, and that sort of not necessarily blind belief, but a very, very strong belief and confidence in your own ability. And then patience, you yeah. know, it takes, it takes a, a long time to develop, uh, as an endurance athlete and that success isn't going to come right away and it may not come in a, sort of direct 
upward trajectory <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes after your worst season that you can have one of your best seasons. You know, So find the joy in it no matter what it is that you're doing and then uh, sort of <laughs> strap in for the long haul. I think a lot of other countries, their athletes maybe are stronger, younger because they may be training a little bit higher loads. And a lot of our young athletes now are, are training at a, at a very high level. And so I think they can perhaps expect success a little bit uh, earlier, but uh, it takes a while. And the nice thing about success that comes later or that comes after hardship is it's almost a little bit sweeter because you know what you've sacrificed to get there. Hey folks, a quick break here to read a note from our sponsor. This episode of Nordic Nation is brought to you by the 2018 Masters World Cup in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But having never skied in Worth Park in downtown Minneapolis, I phoned the Masters World Cup chief of competition, Nels Deisty, who happened to be in Worth Park, and we got some more details. So can you tell us about the race courses and what makes Worth Park a unique venue? Yeah, the courses offer a variety of terrain. A lot of them will feature shorter, more aggressive climbs. We don't have the benefit of of long sustained climbs like a lot of Western courses might have that are set in the mountains. But what we do have is a lot of different types of terrain that's demanding for the athlete. And they have to constantly adjust their tempo and technique to meet what the demands of the course are. Lots of the course uh, features kind of skyline views of downtown Minneapolis, which I think is, is pretty unique uh, for an athlete, and especially in Nordic skiing. Registration for the 2018 Masters World Cup in Minneapolis, Minnesota will open in late October. You can go to mwc2018.com for all the info. Okay, now back to the Team Greg interview. You know, I, I asked a couple of, you know, the folks at Faster Skier, I was like, hey, I'm going to interview the Gregs in a few days. Does anybody have any questions? And yeah, one thing that popped up a few times is if you guys can help give insight into the business model of Team Greg. And so how does one go about thinking like, okay, I can, you know, pay a mortgage and have a life and be a pro skier in the U.S. and not be part of a much larger, you know, like a Stratton or an, an APU. So any insight into what that business model might look like? Yeah, you know, um, I, I would say that for, for both Brian and I, um, you know, a, a big part of our ski career, you know, we've both kind of shared with each other a lot about, you know, different jobs and so forth that we've had you know, through high school, through college, uh, post-college and kind of, you know, that, that big question of how do you, how do you support yourself? Um, not just like every day paying the rent and, and, and buying food and, and, you know, putting gas in your car, but then how do you support yourself to the point where you're traveling around the world and training, you know, upwards of, uh, 750 to a thousand hours, um, which means that you're pretty tired for other things. And so that's something that we put a lot of time and energy into over the last couple of years. And we finally have, I think, really figured it out, you know, in the last probably five years uh, to the point where it works really, really well. And, um, and a big thing is, is that, that, you know, just like your training, that it also takes time and it takes a lot of energy, you know, up front to figure out. But um, we constantly are, are trying to be as resourceful and kind of like Brian said before, thinking outside the box as we can. Um, we're, you know, we're really, we look for, for ways that we can make the most of, you know, of what we have and, and, and what we can, um, use to kind of, to put ourselves in a, in a better position. A great example of that is, you know, sometimes you have to kind of step away and look at what are the different things that you need to accomplish, you know, in order to be a good skier. And, uh, and for us, you know, right when we got married, we, we were trying to figure out where we were going to live. And uh, we knew we wanted to stay in the Minneapolis area. And I had a degree in, in uh, environmental design, which is basically a bachelor's in architecture. And I had an interest in, in real estate and, and community development. And I just really kind of spent a lot of my free time paying attention to different markets and paying attention to, you know, areas that I thought would be really great for not only training, but for my, just my other interests in life, kind of this North Minneapolis theater worth area really struck me as, as a great spot. And, uh, we were fortunate to find a home here and, uh, it was a great price and, 
you know, being creative in, in our races and looking at, you know, how can we make some money and, and kind of solve this one part of the equation to, uh, to kind of solidify a home base for us, um, kind of gave us a good launching pad going forward. Brian, what would you add? Well, I guess to, to look at sort of our, our business plan uh, for Team Greg is it's really centered around our, our interaction with, with, the, with our community and particularly the ski community. And so much of, of us being blessed to be cross-country ski racers has been dependent on that, that very, very strong community. Not only our, basically our, our support comes from, from two different areas, from spon- or for three sponsorships, prize money and direct community donations. And I think all of those are, are really encompassed sort of in this, having a good connection with, uh, with the community and with, with the skiers uh, in the med- Midwest and throughout the country has allowed us to, to have a, a true marketing value so that hopefully we can represent our sponsors and help the, their business grow. You know, that's, that's really the reason I think one of the first uh, sponsors, Andy Gerlach, taught me was, you know, the, we want to support you and your success and your dreams, but we're also supporting you because, uh, we believe you can help us to, to increase our market share or to, to help make sales. And that's, that's an important thing to understand as an athlete that you aren't just given free skis because you're cool. You're given, you're given the support, uh, through equipment so that you can, help increase the, uh, the ski community, uh, help make more skiers, help skiers, uh, realize, uh, how much fun it is to be on a new pair of red line skis, you know, whatever that might be. And, and the other part of that is that the community has helped us keep our costs very, very low. You mentioned paying a mortgage where we're very, very lucky in the sense that we, we don't actually have a mortgage payment. We do have two mortgages, but, uh, we don't have a mortgage payment. And so, Keeping our costs really, really low is one of the ways that we've been able to find that success. You know, we've we've taken a lot of the coaching responsibilities on ourselves, and we'll consult with a lot of other coaches that we've had in the past to to make it so that our coaching fees are at a minimum. We do a lot of the administrative work and our own travel plans, our own bookings, uh, and things like that, so that we try to 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 have as little overhead as possible. I always like to tell people when they make a donation to to Team Greg that. A hundred percent goes to the, to the cause. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not a real estate expert. I mean, I know that like, if I don't pay my mortgage that I get a nasty note from the bank kind of thing. Um, but like, just to clarify, like, what does that mean? I mean, you have a mortgage, but you don't pay a mortgage. Does that mean that there's some sort of trust set up that part of the support from the community is offsetting the cost of, of housing kind of something or that type of arrangement not to get too nosy <laughs> no <laughs> no 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 cool. so when Caitlin was... said we had a good price on our house we had an amazing price we have just like a little one bedroom one bath price that was twenty five and a half thousand dollars score and we were able to get uh you know we're we're in an area that was some would describe as up and coming. That's a good way to describe it. The, uh, and, uh, and it was a high foreclosure area. This was, you know, in the uh, 2010, 2011, I guess was when we bought the house. And so one in 10 of the houses in our neighborhood were foreclosed. Wow. And so this was a, actually a national program that Caitlin knew about from her volunteer work actually on the community board uh, for the for the actually the neighborhood association just south of us. And so there were these programs to get first time home buyers, uh, similar to Obama's program where you could get, you know, $10,000 off of your house if, if you moved into the house. And so we were able to get, uh, we bought a $25,500 house and we had a $10,000 mortgage that was actually forgiven last year because we'd lived in the house for five years. And then another $5,000 one that'll be forgiven this coming May for living in the house for seven years. And then we've got one that's due in 30 years, but not all of those actually, all of those are at 0% interest and no payments. The payments are just due either when we sell the house or 30 years from now. So that, that I guess 22 years from now. Yeah. So that brought, wow. brought the, the sale price or the, the final amount that we had to pay at closing, um, down to 10,500. And so, um, kind of like I referenced before, we really, 
when we realized that this was the direction we were going and, you know, I raced the American Birkebeiner, Brian. Yeah. Caitlin did quite well that year after the Olympics, the 2011 season. And then we bought this, the house in the spring of 2011 and we got married and bought the house in the same three weeks. And, uh, I'll be honest, we really didn't ski that fast. The 2011, 12, uh, ski season, but But I think that that was what really tipped the, uh, tipped the scale so that we could go into this position where we could, we could, uh, we could seize the opportunities. You know, this was the first year that we've had the opportunity to go down. Well, we've had the opportunity. This is the first year that we felt like we could take the opportunity to go down to New Zealand and and do that training camp you know that was an expensive one and that i think is actually a big part of skiing is to to you know it's it's every component in there you also you need to have the maybe you know the natural talent you need to have the the work ethic and the ability but you also and you need to have the community support or the financial resources in order to do it as long as we've been able to do it and i think earlier on in our career you know that particular year in 2010 11 Caitlin was number two or three on the list for the world championships. And she actually declined to go because she wanted to pay off some debts that she had from the Olympics. And we, we felt like we really needed to get ourselves in order. So we weren't going through this, this, uh, this cycle of getting to May and, and owing a bunch of money on credit cards and then having to, to pay everything off and then, you know, work all summer and make some money. And then, you know, be in those tough positions of like, okay, I have this World Cup start or this World Cup opportunity. And, you know, just the way that it is in skiing right now, you often have to provide your own tech or you're covering all of your own expenses. And uh, certainly not having not having a mortgage or a rent payment has made a huge difference. And we try to take a little bit of money each year and we do a little bit of work on the house. And it's I'm sitting in it right now looking around and it's, it's looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that is sweet. Maybe you guys should offer seminars around the Super Tour on how you yeah, do that. We share our story a lot and trying to talk uh, a lot about it with different athletes. You know, that was it was certainly a unique opportunity to find a house. You know, sure, 200 meters from the ski trail that's twenty five and a half thousand dollars. But you know, there are different opportunities out there, and I think there's times where you have to just. Uh, you have to take a little bit of a risk mm-hmm. and like I said earlier, sort of invest in yourself, like, okay, like this is going to cost us a little bit up front. I'll be honest. I mean, when the, so the house, when we, when we closed on the house, it still cost us ten and a half thousand dollars. And that was pretty scary. Caitlin had luckily won the soup, the Berkey that year. And I remember I was, they, they still did, they did $2,000 if you won the super tour or the distance super tour or the sprint super tour. And I was in a like, it was down to like me and Lars in the last race is uphill climb in in uh, Sun Valley, and I think I got them by like ten or fifteen seconds. And I'll tell you, I was real happy about <laughs> oh, that because I wasn't sure where that two grand was going to come from if that didn't work out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. good. Um, so I knew you folks do a ton of work in the community. I think with the Boys and Girls Club. Yep. Yep. So you know, um, you know, what have you guys? What have you learned? most through that type of work? Um, well, I, w- I would say that, you know, for both of us, that's something that's extremely important to us. I from think perspective. what, yeah, it gives us an enormous amount of perspective. Um, you know, as, as ski racers, you know, we sometimes, you know, stand back and we're like, oh my goodness, it's, you know, it's raining out. And then you kind of like take a moment you think about it and you're like, huh, Honestly, we're like, you know, on top of this mountain in the middle of New Zealand, in, you know, in August <laughs> and we're about to go skiing and we have to put on a rain jacket is really all that's going on, you know? And so like, it's some of those moments, I think that that perspective really comes through and you kind of say to yourself, man, you know, we've got it so good, so good. Um, we've been really actually, I would say really fortunate to have the opportunity to work, um, at the Boys and Girls Club, especially these last uh, six years that, you know, six and a half years that we've been living in, in the North com- uh, Minneapolis community. Um, where the kids we do. are just so psyched. I mean, you walk in there in that moment when the kids start like running up to you to give you a hug. And, you know, well, basically we just take the kids outside and we run laps around, a, you know, a one third mile loop of the park for popsicle sticks and organic fruit from Fruit Share. 
you know, it's pretty simple what we're doing with them, but the kids love it. It's so much fun. And, you know, we track their progress and we chart, chart their accomplishments and then we'll do different like field trips and, you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And I think that the, that simple joy and distraction sometimes and spending a couple hours with the kids gives you that, okay, you know, like maybe that interval session didn't go perfect today or you're upset because whatever happened, yeah, it brings you back to the center and say, Hey, you know what? Like sometimes you just got to enjoy that, that, uh, that feeling of, of running, running in the grass or seeing, seeing another kid find that joy of running for, for the first time. And, that's been really cool to see those guys improve and to see how training can make improvement. Truth is like when we start off with the kids, like they're pretty bad. They can barely run like a third of a mile without like just, I mean, they're like, they're like passing out or like falling down when they, you know, cross the finish line one lap in. And then, you know, later on they're running three miles nonstop. So I, I like that. They're pretty young kids, anywhere from five to 12. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's, it's something that I think has, you know, again, going back to the perspective helped our, helped our training and racing immensely. Um, I think just being really grateful for the opportunities we have and then, um, yeah, being, feeling, feeling really good about, you know, what we can do, I would say, you know, simultaneously with our own training and racing and kind of, you know, sharing our passion and excitement for, uh, for healthy, you know, active lifestyles is, is awesome and uh to have it really impact um the next generation and a generation who you know may not have all the opportunities that we've had but maybe they will and maybe they're inspired and you know they decide that cross-country skiing or endurance sport is something they want to they want to give a try and uh you know we feel really lucky too because we you know our, our club Lopit nordic racing um and the Lopit foundation are, are based here again in North Minneapolis, about half, half a mile from our house at Theodore Worth Park. And, um, and they really also embrace kind of the idea of bringing new, new kids, new families and neighboring communities to the park to try, you know, whether it's mountain biking or hiking or, or canoeing. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. awesome. So it really kind of brings it's, everything. It's nothing circle. cooler than seeing one of the kids that we've worked with at the boys and girls club go on to middle school or junior high and then we see them out on the ski trail, you know, and they're on the, the Nordic team for their, for their middle school or their high school. And like, I mean, that's so sweet. Remember when we saw Quinn for the first time, like one of our neighbors, well, we did a lot of work with, uh, when we first moved in, he moved away like probably four years ago. And like two years ago, I was doing some intervals at Worth. I think we had just come back from us nationals and from like the tour to ski. So, you know, we yeah. were, we were from, you know, we, we kind of came back. We hadn't been in town for a little bit. And one of the first he's like yo yo brian (laughs) yeah and that that that's pretty awesome i mean that makes you just like smile and get like that kind of that that just i don't know it's it's hard to describe how cool that feeling is and and how much it means to both of us which which is great it's making a better neighborhood too the uh we are doing a talk for one of the middle school programs last spring and uh it was funny we did a slideshow and we had a photo of our dog and one of the one of the parents stood up and was like, "Hey, I know that dog. You guys, you guys live two houses down and across the street from us." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, means we need to spend more time at home if they didn't recognize our dog better than us. But the uh, that was I thought pretty cool, and uh, it's kind of cool to see how skiing is bringing the the neighborhood together. And yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, it's fun. It is really fun. <laughs> one thing I, I like to. I like to just sort of stand back and observe, especially, you know, just at bigger races, like, you know, it's, it is quite the scene. Um, and Caitlin, I've spoken to you before about this, but one of the things that does always strike me when I see you to interact or for example, if Caitlin has a big race or conversely, Brian has a big race, the real sort of selflessness that one sees when you deal with one another, like you you'll be trudging around with the skis or whatever it takes to see the other succeed which frankly it can be a very self absorbing uh selfish sport how do you guys kind of you know become so selfless or dedicated towards the other at the cost <laughs> of maybe subjugating your own goals um and has it always been like that yeah that's that's a really good question and something that um 
you know, something that we actually, we, we think about in some ways, but at the same time, sometimes maybe we don't really think about because, you know, we just, we just do it, you know, for sure. We're a team, you know, we're, we're married and and that automatically sort of makes us a team, but then we're also a, a team, you know, on and off the snow, um, in multiple capacities. Yeah. I think we do try, we try to tell each other like, Hey, make sure you put yourself first, uh, and, and do what you need to do. But at the same time, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we, I, I feel like our relationship and that sense of teamwork that we have is it's how I think teams should work. I grew up with a twin brother and it was kind of a similar scenario. I told Caitlin like, well, I feel like I've already been married, you know, like my twin brother, it's, it's one of those things that we can really share in each other's success. Yeah, I've yeah. never won a national championship or a world championship medal, but I'll tell you, it, it almost feels like I have. <laughs> and uh, I know that, that, you know, schlepping the skis around or cheering or doing one of those things isn't necessarily the same as actually winning that medal. But the uh, it's you, you have that sense of accomplishment when, you're, when your partner does something uh, incredible or has that accomplishment as well. And so sharing in that is really fun. And so, you know, maybe one of us has a bad day and the other one has a, has a good day. And so we just forget about that bad day and chalk that up as a good day for the two of us. And, uh, so that's, that's a lot of fun. And we have a lot of support from our family and from our sponsors and community members out there at different races too. So, you know, we often get, get asked, well, team Greg, who's on team Greg? That's the two of us or whatever. And they're like, well, that's, that's pretty small. It's just the team of the two of you. And it really encompasses our, our sort of our, our whole support team and uh, hopefully everybody feels like when, when one of us has success that everyone has success. And that's, that's been pretty cool. Plus there's a huge benefit to, to knowing what could possibly help somebody else in a, in a race situation, you know, maybe it's the quick math to figure out like, okay, next up you're in this heat with these athletes at this time so that you can just focus a hundred percent on on uh you know cooling down and preparing for the next heat and thinking about your strategy within the heat and so we'll try to do that for each other or you know my twin brother will text that to us in between the races uh yeah. we try to take take that on and figure out different ways that we can support each other you know as best as possible yeah i would say you know it's that whole concept that we we both we both get it we both understand you know it isn't one of us trying to be the elite endurance athlete and the other one you know, working a nine to five job and thinking, gosh, what is, what is my, you know, spouse do all day? <laughs> we kind of both, <laughs> we both understand what it, what it takes and what it means. And, um, you know, and the sacrifice it takes too, because for sure there's sacrifice. And, and we've often said that we've been, you know, we're so lucky because we get to travel the world and, and, and live this lifestyle together, which, you know, I know is, is just, is awesome. such an opportunity yeah, an awesome <laughs> opportunity. Cause that's not the case for everyone. And, you know, and sometimes you do see, um, couples and families and so forth where they have to make pretty big sacrifices of, you know, time and, and money and, and, you know, and, and, you know, change their, their way of life, you know, for one or the other. And for us, you know, it's been really, it's been really awesome because we kind of say, you know, we spend so much of our winter on the road, but we spend a lot of it together. And, um, and I think that that, you know, means when we're together, like home is where we are, basically, you know, we'll always have our house here in, in Minneapolis and our home in our community, but we also can kind of make the places that we travel feel as much like home, um, as possible, which, which I think is really, really helpful. And then, you know, to be honest, I mean, we kind of joke about this, I would say, but every now and then we get a week apart, you know, when one person qualifies for the Olympics or, you know, something like that. And you're like, so you're so, excited for them that you know a week apart doesn't two weeks apart doesn't feel like that long sometimes maybe it's nice to have a little break what do you think brian no i like being around you <laughs> <laughs> the only bad thing i guess those times like truth is we're like usually both exhausted at the same time oh, yeah. it's the end of those like you know the third or third or fourth week and do a volume block and you're sort of like you know the the dishes are piled up and you're like, oh, I want to go to bed, but some the laundry. Those dishes and the laundry <laughs> the lawn hasn't been mowed. Right, right. <laughs> it, it works. It works out. You know, sometimes there is that struggle of whether or not we could support each other greater if if one of us wasn't racing and, and supporting the other full time. But uh I like the way that we do it and it's it's uh yeah it's a lot of fun to to try to to do this path together. 
yeah, for sure. It's, you know, there's always like little, little things here and there that, you know, we have to spend extra time, like you said, you know, supporting each other. And, and I think that ultimately it, uh, it actually makes us both better athletes in the long run. So it's, it's worth any little bit that we give kind of time to Plus time. Plus we keep each other honest. Caitlin's like a little competitive sometimes. So, oh yeah, we are super, we're oh, really? super competitive with each other. We, we don't, we don't try to hide that at all. <laughs> Would that manifest with like efficiency in loading the dishwasher yeah, yeah. or dishwasher. yeah okay. i wish we had a dishwasher uh we don't but it, it definitely comes out in all of those different ways <laughs> any way shape and form we can be competitive we we try to be it's it's pretty funny yeah um because i'm reminded on a daily basis from my wife she's like life is no is a competition and i'm like um but <laughs> yeah. don't worry caitlin's, caitlin's losing the competition on how quick she can unload the drawing racks so. <laughs> that's um, good because yeah. that's that can be kind of not a very fun task so the faster it's over it's like um how did you guys meet uh we actually we met on the cxc team which okay. is the central cross country team um gosh 10 Years ago, now in two thousand six. Although I like to remind Caitlin that we were both at junior nationals in nineteen ninety nine. Although I don't think she talked to me, I was a little younger. Yeah, it's kind of. But did you remember her? Well, nineteen ninety nine. I, I, I definitely wouldn't have remembered that. I was, I was like a really, you know, mature. OJ, they used to call them like older juniors. Now yeah. they have different terms for U- them. U twenty, U twenty. Brian was, was like U sixteen. Yeah, Brian was like a U <laughs> sixteen. I would definitely not have remembered him. So uh, anyway, that kind of there's like no, he would have been like the dork from the Meta. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, sorry. I like to tell the kids going to junior nationals to make sure that they go out and they meet a lot of the other skiers from the, the other regions because you never know. Your wife might be out there or whatever. Uh, or some of your best friends you don't end up meeting until later. Some of the friends might not appreciate me saying that. But the, uh, uh, no, it is kind of cool to see the you know the friendships that, that we've built now. And when we've, you can go back and look at results when we were at races together, but we didn't know each other, you know, and, uh, to be able to see like, okay, we're best friends now. And we had four years where we didn't know each other. I do think that's a, a big thing of like when we're at training camps or races of encouraging the other athletes to go and meet the other athletes and to become friends with them because sometimes like Caitlin, they're pretty cool. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So we met, we met in 2006 and we're actually, we were both dating other people and um, we, I guess we sort of started dating in 2010. I wasn't really sure how serious it was. And then Caitlin called me during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. And I realized that maybe that was more serious than. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And I, I should uh, like, I want to be an equal opportunity dork caller outer. <laughs> like, cause I know the Metau has lots of amazing fast junior skiers. And also I don't want to get an Eric Bjornsson's bad side. So there's like dorks universally <laughs> everywhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's no problem. I like it. My like, math teacher always told me a nerd was just a never ending radical dude. So but that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Right. I would put myself in that category. Oh, nice. Uh okay. Um I'm assuming the goals this year are the Olympics. Um and looking forward also, you know, how do you guys foresee yourselves staying in the sport? Yeah, great question. Um Definitely 100% the goals uh, for the year at the Olympics for both of us this time. You know, I went in 2010, Brian went in 2014. And so uh, the goal has been and, and continues to be, you know, to go together. And um, and like you said, it's a challenge to get two people on the team, but we're, we're going for it and we have our, you know, everything aligned for that. But then beyond skiing, um, regardless of what happens this year, uh, you know, beyond our, I should say, our own competitive careers, um, you know, we really plan on on being connected to the sport for a long time. And um, it's not going to be at the same, you know, World Cup international racing level. But um, but for sure, you'll see our names, you know, the Berkey, for instance, would be, you know, one of the races that we, we hope to do for, for many years to come and in all capacities, you know, whether we're in the, you know, elite wave and, and gun for, you know, trying to, to get the win or whether or not we, you know, maybe 
slip back a few waves and were those guys <laughs> dressed up as uh, the warriors. Oh yeah, team, the warriors like or you know bringing our bringing our own kids to the race and you know supporting them and in their you know first Barnaburki. Um, yeah, it's something you know we absolutely love skiing first and foremost, and so we plan to be involved um, you know ourselves for a long time. I personally have um, really enjoyed the last six years or so I've been writing, um, my own training and helping Brian with his training. And, uh, from my perspective, it's been, it's been really, uh, it's been really fascinating to kind of, if you will, uh, to be, um, somewhat of a, a female coach. Um, and, uh, I've kind of expanded that this last summer and, and coached a group of, of collegiate girls and really found that I enjoyed that, you know, really, it, yeah, I thought it was really exciting and really fun. And, and I think that it was well-received, you know, we don't have a ton of female coaches and I look up to all the female coaches we have. And, um, I think it could be something that I, I can bring to, uh, yeah, to the next generation of skiers, some really good insight as to, you know, what it's like to be a female athlete, um, either, you know, whether it's as a junior, as a collegiate level skier, as a international competitor. So I kind of, am interested in, in pursuing that and, and getting more into coaching, um, in years to come. Did you, and were those girls at a local college, Caitlin? Uh, the collegiate girls I worked with were, um, they're actually, uh, from originally from the twin cities area. Uh, they worked with the Loppet Nordic racing, which is our home club team and, um, had since gone to college their freshman year of college. And they were at schools all over the country Okay, skiing, you know, skiing, schools competing on their teams and uh came home for the summer and really wanted to they had like 12 or 14 girls yeah right? 12 to 14 girls averaged and really wanted to you know pursue their training and 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 be at that next level and so i um yeah i found myself working with them and writing the training and and really loving it and feeling like it's a it's it's a needed area for for a lot of these athletes and uh it was something that I had a blast doing, and so I look forward to, to kind of trying to do more of that in the future. Okay. Uh, Brian, what are you going to do? Brian? Yeah. So my, <laughs> my next chapter that I've been exploring is getting into financial planning. So I've had the, the fantastic opportunity to shadow a couple of the different financial planners here in the Twin Cities. And so looking at, at joining in uh, with those guys uh, next year and getting my series seven and helping people with their own investment and portfolio. And, you know, it's been really cool to see how some of those financial decisions the last five, seven years has, has really helped us to be able to accomplish our goals and to be able to help other people accomplish their goals. And then, you know, uh, I mentioned those world open races early on. One of the things we want to do is we want to do, uh, lead some trips uh, to some of the different world open races so that we can we can still get our our time on the road and that that joy of of training and preparing and executing and events and having a lot of fun uh, and sharing that experience with with others. So yeah. I can see us doing a couple of trips later on uh, for world lopets and uh, certainly always going to be skiing. I think one of the most exciting things uh, when I made the Olympic team in two thousand fourteen is. Uh, all Olympians get uh, lifetime entries for the American Burka Biner. So oh, yeah. we'll be uh, we'll be getting the <laughs> maximum value out of that. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Um, so does that mean you said you were going to be well? So is this is this the last year collectively as a team, or do you might do you have different timelines? We, you know, it's one of those things that we'll we'll really need to assess at the end of the year. You know, honestly, we thought 2015 was kind of going to be the last year for for us, and we'd start a family. And then Caitlin had such great success that year that we really wanted to continue. Uh, Caitlin has been a huge inspiration for me as she's three, four years older than me to, to, to show that you can succeed as uh, maybe a slightly older athlete uh, by U.S. standards, but not necessarily by international standards. And uh, so we'll see. We're, we're treating this year as if it's going to be our last one, but we'll make the official call on that this spring. Yeah. I mean, I think the bottom line is we – we still enjoy it. We still have fun and we've been, you know, we've been able to, to, to make it uh, sustainable and, um, and also kind of have the feelings like we, you know, we can give back to our community, um, and progress in our, in our training and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, 
it's definitely a good feeling all around and, and we love it. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of want to, you know, we want to make sure that we keep, keep loving it year after year after year. So yeah, we kind of evaluate <laughs> after each, each season and, uh, and decide. Yeah, I don't think loving it is going to change, but you know, I think there is a sense of urgency. We aren't getting any younger. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important as an athlete, you know, the, your trajectory isn't always going to be directly up, but you need to make sure that you're getting, you know, getting faster and faster and that belief that we can continue to improve and get better and better. And then, uh, then of course a big one is it's wanting to, to start a family, whether we have our own kids or we adopt and, uh, uh, making sure that we can provide for them. That's a different yeah. scenario. Because, <laughs> you know, two athletes living, living mostly on the road and without any rent ex- or mortgage expense versus, uh, you know, being able to provide for a family that, you know, and a kid that ideally someday you send to college. <laughs> And he most likely isn't probably going to like cross country skiing. Yeah, we've cut, we've already come to the <laughs> He does, but uh, yeah. there's a good chance that he's going to. Yeah, Mom and Dad did that, so. Well, there's always like the skateboard park. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking, you know, like they don't, they don't, uh, you don't have to travel as much, maybe for chess, but. Yeah, we're. we're Ooh, that's true. Skateboard park sounds cool. Yeah, that does sound good too. But chess is also really cool too because I don't think they make carbon fiber gear for that. That's so what it's we, a little cheaper. We've, we've definitely discussed that. The. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the chessboard we can we can provide yeah. a new one of those every year. That's not so bad. Well, that's where Brian's <laughs> Series Seven is going to come in handy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate yeah. your time. And um, not that I didn't think it would go smoothly, but I was a little worried about like how do I navigate the two people on one phone. Uh, but it was very well done. So. <laughs> That was yeah, easy. <laughs> thanks, Jason. We really enjoyed listening to your podcast, and thanks for, for reaching out for different athletes and sort of connecting the, the yeah, ski world fans with those guys. Different so stories. And we appreciate looking to the other ones. Oh, good. Yeah, it's cool. Well, thanks again, and um, best of luck you, this year. Yeah, you thanks, too. Jason. Take Have care. a great one. Bye. Take care. All right. Bye. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nordic Nation. 